All right, you guys can be dismissed to Sunday school. It'll be a short one today. So I want to um, introduce quickly, we'll be talking about today this idea of um, breaking chains and being set free. Everybody likes freedom, right? Nobody likes to be in bondage to anything. But you know, the problem is when we know Christ, too many believers, we unnecessarily struggle with, this, with strongholds. And the fact that we've been set free, but we still feel enslaved to our flesh and to our thoughts, it shows that we have this bigger problem. We have this thing, what I call an identity crisis. Uh, the problem isn't temptation is too strong or that we can't handle what we're facing. The problem is we don't realize who we are. That's period. It's not what we face. We don't know who we are. The problem is um, bondage has to do with a, de- with a deception in that idea that we don't know who we are. And I wanted to ask George to come up and share his testimony because I think hearing, hearing a testimony about this idea is really going to help us see- understand this idea of, of, of bondage and being set free. So, yeah, George, come on up. If you could share that testimony, it would be awesome. Thank you. Um, I'm very honored just to be asked to do this. Um, Bondage is is slavery. You are a slave to something. Um, I was a slave to substance abuse for probably eh, a good 50 years. Um, But we we serve a, a great God that can set us free, that breaks those chains and lets, lets you go. We, we ourselves, in our flesh, want to rule our own kingdom. And I ran into problems with that. I wanted to serve God, I love God and all that. But, you know, I wanted a little place over here, like a vacation home I could go over to and uh, just do my own thing. Uh, God is really powerful, and you have to allow him to do something. Um, God got my attention 40 years ago. He took my desire to drink away from me. That, so that was easy. I had no desire. I didn't do anything. I just didn't have any desire. Only a fool does things that they don't desire to do. But I also had had a heroin addiction before I had an alcohol addiction, <laughs> and that kind of crept back into my life. And I was in, you know, I was in rehab and trying to get myself together. And um, this guy, these guys were talking. I said, wow, yeah, I remember I used to like it when God would talk to me. And suddenly God talked to me. He said, I don't talk to liars. While you worship and sit with the prince of liars, I can't do anything with you. I was like, what? That was really strong. So I'm talking with God, and I said, Lord, why couldn't you give me blanket coverage on this thing? You know, you delivered me from that. And he goes, because you needed to learn something. 
you needed to surrender. And breaking, breaking the bonds that will set you free is kind of sounds, well, I got to break. No, you surrender and they, they fall away. That you give your heart over to God that he might rule in your life. You're not going to be perfect. If, if I could be perfect, I wouldn't need a Jesus. I allow Jesus to work in my life and God has given me something to do and I want to be his person to help set the captives free. Yeah, and you do, I can only do that in his strength. Sometimes I'm like, yeah, let me go, let me go, let me go, let me go. But, you know, God has his own timing and his timing sometimes is not our timing. He... I believe is not always immediate, but he's never late. And if anybody needs to pray, I'll pray with you. Uh, prayer is the whole thing. You know, it is the strongest thing you have. Faith and prayer. You know, it just overrides anything else. I mean, you can do. You just need the Holy Spirit to help you to do what you have to do. You, can only, you will only come, if you don't allow the Holy Spirit to help you, you will come to the end of yourself, the end of your human flesh, and you'll crash and burn. But God keeps lifting you up. He shows you where it is. To set your mind positive, being positive. And it's hard, you know, like, like I say to people, I, you know, if you get up in the morning and you say, today is going to suck, well, you already made your mind up to it. Look, for the, look, look above the crowd and see the glory. Allow that to make you move, do, and live, to actually live and be broke, break that bondage, break that slavery. And I think on that note, I'll just... Step down and get on with what we're doing. Uh, get too long-winded. Thank you. God, God is a powerful one. I, I'm nothing without God. Thanks, George. That was awesome. Yeah, thank you, George. That was, that was great. Um, we're going to start, I get handouts to everybody. There's a pen and a piece of paper next to you guys within reach. There should be. But we're going to start with that first um, passage, Galatians 4, 1 through 7. It says, what, am I say- what I am saying is that as long as an heir is underage, he's no different from a slave because he owns the whole estate. The heir is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also, when we were underage, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual principles of the world. But when the set time has fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. We may not feel this, but what we're reading is truth, who we are. So number one, being what? 
breaks chains and set us free? Anybody? What is it that sets us free? It said it right in the last passage there, the last sentence. Being God's child. God's child is what breaks chains and sets us free. Before we think we do anything or we can bring anything, it's that relationship as a child and the Holy Spirit in us that gives us that empowerment. That is key. Number two, we have what in our hearts. Right. So in that verse, the Spirit. So God is now our, what did it say? Our Father, Abba. So there he's defining the relationship. That's why we're free. It's because of the relationship. The book of Galatians, it was written to churches in Galatia. They were being told they were, they were circumcised. This is what the Jewish people are saying. They need to be circumcised to keep the law of Moses in order to be saved. Now, we all know that we can't be saved that way. and We all know that um, what we do doesn't save us. Are we all in agreement that we're not saved by what we do? But how many people can raise their hands and say at times when we turn away from God, it's probably because we don't think we're good enough or there's a a stronghold in our life and that somehow we, we have to get rid of this before we can come to the Father. Who would agree with that? I mean, I'm raising my hand. That's... That's usually a barrier. So right there, we're starting off ignoring Galatians. We're we're creating our own definition for what our relationship is with God. Now we know that's a lie, and we're being deceived. And the funny thing is, it's it's rooted in the same problem that the Jewish people in legalism had. It just looks different, but it's, it's all under the same premise of a lie. It's legalism thinking we can earn something in our relationship with our Father. So before we're quick to judge the Jewish people, we probably have to think of times that we've done this and we've been guilty of ourselves. So there's, there's two different ways to look at it. When we come before the Father, we can, look at it, we can feel a value in that we're in a right relationship, or we can feel no value and think we're not worthy. And based on our upbringing, that lie may have been fed to us based on our experiences. And I'm actually, Wes and I were talking about this because um, many of us come from a background where we don't feel loved. We've been made told we're worthless. But Wes is kind of, I wanted you to share for a couple minutes your your experience and your background in that area, if you don't mind. Yeah, you can come up. Uh, Good morning. So it was actually... Very interesting the conversation I had with Dan because he sent me a question. And it, the question was, was there a time that I had that I didn't call out to God based on my identity if I thinking that I wasn't worthy? And I really didn't. So actually it was quite the opposite. Because I had someone in my life growing up who just nurtured and loved me just because of who I was. And I always had that sense that their love for me was always going to be present. I didn't have to earn it. I didn't have to keep it. It was just because of who I was. And that led into a different problem for me 
that God finally dealt with in my life in that I had pride. And it took me a long time to understand that that pride kept me in a place where I didn't really think I needed what Christ did for me. And that was the bondage that I was in slavery to. But it was really interesting, and it was, it was a really good conversation having with Dan, is that I always, having that sense of that I was always safe in who I was with this person, and that they were going to love me no matter what. And also understanding that God's love was even that much greater, and just his grace and love for each of us, how true and high and big it is, like it says in Ephesians, that it's just bigger than we can wrap our heads around of. And it's just such, you know, it is really just such a beautiful, awesome gift. So that's why I'd share. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. And that's why it's important because we all come from different backgrounds but we can fall into the same trap of thinking we can bring something to that relationship. So let's look, let's look at um, Romans 6. You guys have it on your paper. And we're going to read verse 1 through 14. It says, What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, we were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we've been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master, but you are not under the law, but under grace. Again, powerful truth. Our minds don't naturally go there to what's truth. That's why we have to look at that truth of who we are. I want to touch on a couple verses emphasizing important actions. For we know, in our head, we know that our old self was crucified with him. And we believe, that means we trust, that we also live with him. So this leads to the next question. I should have actually said we mistakenly act on what we what? What do we mistakenly act on? What we, what we feel, not what we, what we know or what we believe. So deception happens when those feelings are really the primary reasons for making decisions, right? Feelings are, are real. We don't want to discount them, but they are of the flesh. And since we know that the flesh and the spirit are at war with one another, feelings 
from the flesh should not be an important part of our decision-making. Acknowledging our feelings is important, but using feelings against what we know to be true can guarantee one thing, that we'll be deceived. It's a guarantee. There's no question. When we bring everything before God, and I mean everything, what we know, what we believe, what we feel, our fears, our anxieties, when we're honest before God, that just takes away most of our likelihood, almost all of it, to be deceived. God can deal with our feelings. He can deal with our disobedience. He can deal with our temptation. He can deal with it all. And he can meet us where we're at. And that's the first thing that we have to believe is, do you really believe God can truly meet you where you're at? And he can for one reason. Because of who we are. And we have the Holy Spirit in us. So what we feel comes from the flesh, and that's not truly who we are anymore in Christ. We need to speak against what we feel as being from the flesh. Or if we don't do that, then we find ourselves defining ourselves by what we feel. And Paul had warned many times, do not be deceived. Going, going back to the Galatian text, do you think the Jewish people who struggle with legalism understood what we just read in Romans 6? Do you think they had any idea what that meant? No. Just like George testified when he was struggling with these strongholds, do you think George understood before that time four years ago? Do you think he fully understood? No. Do you think you and I, when we find ourselves deceived by sin and we don't reach out to God in our time of need, do, you, do we remind ourselves of Galatians that we're worthy as children of God with the Holy Spirit in us? That we're now people who have been brought from death to life through Christ? And that we have also died and been set free? De- Deception is such a weird thing because I used to actually picture it like this, I'm a victim of something. Like, oh, you know, the enemy fooled me or whatever. But then I realized deception's two parts. And actually the bigger part is really a part where we come into play. Um, the part where we come into play is probably the most important part because that's where we deceive ourselves. That's where we downplay the power of our feelings and our desire for something to be true. When we deceive ourselves, we probably never ask ourselves this question first. Is this, is this what I'm feeling true, or is this just something I want to be true? How many ask that question when you're in that situation? I don't. How many of us should ask that question? Is this really true, or is this something I just want to be true? So many times our desire to walk in, we are just desiring to walk in, we make the decision to walk in untruth, and we're not even aware of it. We can avoid deception, I believe, 100% of the time, regardless, regardless of the temptation we're facing, if we go back to who we are and that we have the Holy Spirit in us, that we are children, we are heirs of Jesus Christ, we can walk in that truth because we, you know, we've been set free, and that's what's key. And there's just a couple scriptures I want to hit on quickly before we, we close in prayer, but I just, Scripture warns us about being deceived. Just start in the beginning with Eve. Her first thing she said was, the serpent deceived me and I ate. And right there we know that's not true. The serpent said something she wanted to be believe. That's the only reason she gave in. 
She made the choice to be deceived. In Luke 21, when the disciples asked Jesus about the destruction of the temple, and he's at, they are asking about the signs of the end times and when it will come, Jesus said to them, Watch out that you are not deceived. For many will come in my name, claiming I am he and that the time is near. If we follow the truth, we don't have to be deceived. If we didn't choose to be deceived, then Jesus wouldn't warn us not to be deceived if we were just purely victims. So the fact that he says it's a choice proves it is our decision. 1 Corinthians 6. Paul warns the church about cheating others. He's talking about taking other believers to, to court and things like that. And preferring to do wrong, he used the words, than to do what's, what's, what's right. He warned in verse 6, do not be deceived. Wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, who would prefer to profit versus lose out? Nobody. I mean, nobody prefers to lose out in a situation. But it makes sense that we want to defend ourselves. So that's when we start lying. We start thinking, I've been cheated. I'm owed. That kind of situation where we start telling ourselves that our having something is more important than that person. We may want it to be true, but, you know, in terms of we might have a right to sue somebody. But if this is a brother and sister in Christ, that's why Paul was saying it's, it's just not worth it. We can't deceive ourselves into thinking that our material junk is more important than another child, another heir of Christ. It's just not worth it. And then Galatians 6 also says, if anyone thinks there's something when they are not, they deceive themselves. And verse 3 was addressing the, the first few verses that talk about if someone's caught in sin, that we who live by the Spirit should gently restore that person, that we sh- but that we should watch out that we also are not tempted. Again, deception. You almost think you're doing the good thing, and he's saying, well, watch out. You're going to be, you know, it's like we, we can even deceive ourselves in a situation where we're trying to help somebody. Like, that's how ridiculous it is that we can fall into these untruths. It's easy to deceive ourselves wanting to accept a lie that, you know, oh, I wouldn't do what that person would do, or, you know. But even that's a lie. You know, Christ died on the cross because we will do anything our flesh tells us if we let it. The worst, most abominable sin all of us are capable of. So when we look at someone and we judge, we're being foolish. We're already deceiving ourselves. We're starting the first foot forward deceiving ourselves. Instead, we can be huge encouragement to believers when we sympathize and we empathize that I know where you're at. Maybe I haven't specifically been in your situation. But man, I get it. I get the power of telling yourself that I want this to be true. So the encouragement that we can give others just trying to connect in that way is where a lot of healing can begin, where people can start seeing, oh, well, maybe this isn't who I am. Maybe my identity, it really is a child of God. So let's acknowledge together that Jesus paid too great a price for us to go back and voluntarily put ourselves back in bondage. One final verse on your paper. I want to just talk about John 14. And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever, the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. So we can turn to who for help? That's the only reason this is possible. Because God has anointed us. and He's given us the Spirit here. We have the Spirit inside of us. 
And if you tell yourself anything different, God's not going to force the truth on you. If you don't want to walk in freedom, God's not going to force you. But he's given us an anointing here, the Holy Spirit. And if we want that freedom, we can have it. So I want to just spend a couple minutes in prayer just asking God to acknowledge that each of us who receive Christ and we know the freedom he gives us, that we have that anointing in us. We have the ability to be free. And that I want each of us to ask that God meet us where we're at. We're all at different points. But we're not fully accepting the power of the Holy Spirit in us to set us free, regardless of where we're at. But let's just pray that he show us our anointing for his kingdom and for his purposes. And then we start making decisions based on truth. Sound good? All right, let's pray. Lord Jesus, man, we just struggle with our desire to walk out things that we know are so contrary to the truth of who we are the truth of our purpose in life and our desire that you have for us. So Lord Jesus, first of all, we just thank you for your price you paid so that we can be free. The price you paid, Lord, that we can walk in freedom and not only just walk in freedom, but walk empowered by you, Lord. You know, we just ask, Lord, that you Bring revelation, a personal spirit of revelation and wisdom, Lord, to each of us. And some of us, it is going to need a supernatural revelation. Some of us, we read the words, Lord, and it's just, we have our own lies so built up that they have to be chipped away, Father, that we just can't take your truth at face value. But we ask, Lord Jesus, that you can chip away any of those lies that have built up and get to the bottom of the truth of who we really are, Lord Jesus, that we want to be set free. And we want to know the full potential of what you desire for us. So, Lord, we just lift up in faith. With the little measure of faith, all of us have some degree of faith, different measures, but whatever you have given us, Lord Jesus, we just pray that you build on that, Lord, and that the anointing come in us, that your Holy Spirit just confirm in our hearts that we are free. And whom the Son has set free, we are free indeed. And let us be a church who desires to walk in the freedom and to build each other up. And Lord, and use that anointing just to build each other up. Use that anointing to encourage one another that we are free. And we just thank you for that revelation. And we just thank you for who you are in Jesus' name. Amen.